So we'll be reading from John 12, verses 20 through 36, which you can find in your Blue Pew Bibles, starting on page 1,671. So John 12, starting at verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd was there and heard it. Uh, The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment in this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man will, or must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he's going. Put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may, ha- may become sons of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. This is the word of the Lord. As we enter this new year and this new space, uh, this is a, a story that calls us to, to kind of pay attention to our priorities, the things that are at the heart of who we are and, and the heart of where God calls us uh, to follow him and how to live our lives with him. And as we enter that, I want to set the context for us for how this story unfolds and what's happening in it. And, and to do so, I, I want to highlight the story that happens just before the text that Joel read. Just before this is the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And, and not just that story, it's been a few weeks since then. And, and the word about what Jesus has done has spread throughout that whole area. And people are coming not just to see Jesus, but also to talk to Lazarus. They want to talk to the guy who was dead and is now alive. And they come around and the Pharisees, in exasperation, 
This is what they say right before the text Joel read. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. In the very next sentence, now there were some Greeks. <laughs> the whole world is coming to see Jesus. And the Pharisees who were, who were trying to keep Jesus quiet and the Pharisees who were trying to minimize the impact Jesus was having on the people suddenly found themselves not just dealing with a local uprising and change in their community. They saw the whole world being changed. The whole world having this deep longing that was emerging to come and see Jesus. And wouldn't we be part of that crowd? I mean, Jesus has raised somebody from the dead. Who here has seen Jesus raise somebody from the dead? But if we did see somebody and we did hear about it, we'd want to go see, see it, right? I'll tell you. A couple weeks ago, I heard about the World Juniors. I wanted to go see it. And my brother-in-law loves hockey. And so we bought Christmas tickets for him to go see it and, and set it up in a way he brought me with him. It was beautiful. We got to go. And I was there Saturday night for that gold medal game. And it was, it was a beautiful thing. And when you walk into the stadium and there is this sea of red. Sorry, Malin, there was only a little yellow and blue for the Swedish fans. There was just the sea of red and white. In fact, one of the, the Swedish fans, we're in Buffalo, mind you, Buffalo, New York, United States of America. One of the fans, Swedish fans, holds up the Swedish jersey and starts shouting, go Swedes, go Swedes. And people in the crowd are, you're in Canada, go home. We're in the U.S., but you're in Canada. And I, it was just this, this hyper atmosphere and everybody's there to see what's happening. And that level of energy continued for the next three hours. People were excited. There was a spectacle to see. There was something to watch. And, and in many ways, many ways in our culture, people are there not just to root on their national team, but they're there to see who are going to be the next great people in the sports culture in our world. They're there to say, hey, I saw him play when he was 17 or 18 years old. They're there to say, I saw him. I, I was there at that game. There's something of that. We want to be where the action is. We want to be in the midst of the hype and the good things and the, the wonder of it all, the, the excitement of it all. And that's something that carries over even in the church. We want to be a church that people want to come to. We want to be a community of people where people want to show up and, and they're excited about the worship and they're excited about the youth ministry and they're excited about the work we're doing and reach out into the community. We want to be a place of people, a place where so much is happening, that people are drawn in. They're like, yeah, this is where we want to be. There's something of that in our culture and in our human nature that we long to be where the action is. You have these Greek believers. They've come to worship God in Jerusalem. It's quite a trek. It's what we would call in spiritual discipline terms, it's a pilgrimage. They're traveling from Greece to Jerusalem 
before the festival, the high holy days, the place where the action is. And as they're coming, they keep hearing stories about this guy, Jesus, who actually raised somebody from the dead and who's going to be there. And what's more, as they begin to pay attention to the noise and the hoopla that's surrounding Jesus because of that, they realize there's a Greek-speaking guy in the crowd, one of the close people to Jesus, Philip. Out of all the disciples, Philip is the only one with a Greek name. All the other ones are clearly Hebrew names. But Philip has a Greek name. And these Greeks approach Philip. He's from Bethsaida, which is on the edge of the Jewish territory, not far from the Decapolis, which is a big Greek kind of Roman city and outpost. And so they come to Philip and they talk to him. And Philip, well, Philip's the one who's had an outreach mind since the beginning. Shortly after he was called, he went and found Nathaniel and said, hey, we found the Messiah, come meet him. Philip was not afraid to bring people to Jesus. These Greeks want to come and see Jesus because of the hoopla, and Philip goes to Andrew and says, hey, what do you think about this? The news is spreading. It's going out to the ends of the earth. Look, even the Greeks want to come and see him. It's not just the people of Israel anymore. Philip and Andrew, they go to Jesus say, Jesus, even the Greeks want to come see you. Hey, isn't this great? The kingdom's growing. Look at this. It's happening right before our eyes. The big hoopla is happening. Jesus' response is kind of sobering. Unless a colonel falls to the ground and dies, there remains only one seed. What? (laughs) What just happened? I I can imagine Philip and Andrew going, you didn't answer our question, Jesus. Can they come meet you? Can they come see you? Can they come talk to you? You've left us kind of hanging. What do we do with this? Commentators talk about this being the turning point in the Gospel of John this interaction. Until now, Jesus has had a number of circumstances where the people wanted to to either stone him on one side or uh, anoint him as king on the other. They couldn't figure out which, but they knew it was one of those poles. Either kill him and get rid of him or or exclaim him as king and proclaim him as king. We we know he's one, one thing or the other, but We're trying to figure it out. And each time that happens in the Gospel of John, up until now, the comment from John is, but it was not his hour. It was not Jesus' time. It wasn't time for him to be killed. It wasn't time for him to be raised up and proclaimed king. It wasn't time. But here... When the whole world is starting to come to Jesus, when they're gathering around him because of of the hoopla that's happened around Lazarus being raised from the dead, Jesus says, now it's time. And what does he say? It's time to die. There's something about the Christian faith, something about being a disciple of Jesus, that goes against all the hype of our culture. We want to jump on the bandwagon. We want to jump on the thing that's hip and happening. We want to be in the midst of of all that seems to be powerful and momentous and right in the moment. This is it. This is where it's happening. 
And Jesus says, yep, it is those moments. But more than that, it's a life of dying. The Greeks want to see me. I invite them to come and die with me. Philip and Andrew, you really want to see me? I invite you to come and die with me. It's New Year. We're seven days in. Anyone set a resolution yet? No? Oh, oh we got one resolution. I was going to ask next, anyone kept their resolution yet? This is a time of year where culturally we're invited to set goals and priorities for the year ahead. Things we're going to focus on. I wonder how many people, even in the world, put as a goal, I'm going to go and die with Jesus this year. Anybody? Anybody want that as a goal? It's uncomfortable, isn't it? It flies in the face things of success. I want to get out of debt this year. I want to set aside some money for retirement. I want to take this vacation. I want to go back to school. I want a promotion this year or a better job or a job. I want, I want, I want. And what we're being called into by Jesus is in the midst of all these measures of success and what seems to be the good life and the happening life, Jesus calls us to be a people who are content and focused on dying with Christ. What might it look like for us to be a people who are not known because we necessarily have the best worship or not known because we have the greatest discipleship program or the greatest evangelism program or the youth ministry that all the youth from other churches and other communities want to come to? What would happen if we became known as a people who laid down our lives with Christ. What if that became our vision and our purpose? Our vision and purpose for gathering here in worship, that we come into worship as a people who are so shaped by this God who laid down his life for us. This God who said, I have everything in the whole universe at my disposal and I choose to pour myself out and lay myself down for you. What would happen if we said, let me walk with you, Jesus. Let me enter that dying life with you. I can tell you a little bit of what would happen because it's what happens with the disciples and in this story. What happens is Jesus says, when the Son of Man is raised up, referring to the kind of death he would die on that cross, and, and the whole world begins to look at him who died for us, who, who paid the price for our sins, who reconciled us with God the Father, who took on the full consequences of our brokenness. Redefine success, not in terms of any measurement that we can come up with in the world or any medal we can achieve, but who defines success in the capacity to love one another. That community of people, of those disciples, guys like Philip and Andrew and James and John and Peter, all go out from that place. After the cross and the resurrection, they go out, filled by the Spirit, and they go out to the ends of the earth. We are here today 
because they were transformed by a Christ who laid down his life. We are here today because Christ laid down his life and his disciples were transformed by that vision to go and lay down their lives. They became willing to suffer. They entered into conversations with people who were broken and outcast. They went to the ends of the earth. Their priorities shifted and changed. So this morning, as we enter this year, I'm not laying out a big grand vision for us in terms of all the things I hope we accomplish as a church this year. I'm calling us simply to pay attention to Christ's response here. If we want to see Jesus, if we want to meet him and know him, we're going to find him in that process of laying down our lives just as he did. Let's pray. Lord, we don't have a whole lot of stories to tell you today. We have dreams and visions and hopes, but we recognize that they are so muddied by the, the desires and patterns of this world, we're not even sure which of them are good and right. But we do hear you. We hear you in this text calling us into a new way of living that seems so foreign and odd we're not sure how to enter into it. We pray that this year you would show us what it means to die with you, to lay down our lives, even as you lay down yours. May you reshape our wants, our desires, our, even our understanding of what we truly need by your act of dying among us, dying for us. Give us a new vision of what it truly means to live through your death and your resurrection. We pray this for your glory and honor and not our own. In Jesus' name, amen.